Welcome to The Steady Investor with Mark Vickery and Mitch Zacks. In our program today, we'll help you get started or continue to build your nest egg with some of the best practices for retirement planning. It's time to start right now. Here are your hosts, Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery. Yes, welcome again, listeners of the VoiceAmerica.com business channel. It's time for this week's The Steady Investor, brought to you by Zacks Investment Management, a Chicago-based investment firm with $3.5 billion in assets under management and another $3.5 billion in assets under advisory. I'm your co-host, Mark Vickery, and today I'm joined by two prominent members of Zacks Investment Management, Manish Jain, Fixed Income Portfolio Manager, I'm sorry, Fixed Income Portfolio Manager for Zacks Investment Management, and Barry Wheelis, National Sales Director with the Private Client Group at Zacks Investment Management. Welcome, gentlemen, to the show for the first time. Good morning. Last week, I was speaking to Mitch Sachs on The Steady Investor, and we were able to discuss a pretty sizable number of topics on the minds of investors these days. I was hoping we might be able to start the same way. What do you think? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> All right, great. Um, well, as we know, we've just entered uh, Q2 earnings season, and uh, this morning, the first of the big banks reported, and that's J.P. Morgan. Um, they, per- they posted an earnings and revenue beat for its fiscal Q2 before the bell today, and um, notably... Instead of posting a negative hit regarding concerns over the Brexit vote last, late last month, J.P. Morgan's CFO actually said the bank experienced a small positive trading bump following the decision for Great Britain to leave the European Union. Um, any thoughts on that initially? Well, this is always a good start to have. Uh, there has been a lot of concerns uh, regarding financial institutions on, with the lower interest rates worldwide as well as flattening yield curve, how these banks were going to perform from an earnings point of view. Right. And to have J.P. Morgan come out right off the bat and say, positive things and actually come out positive on the upside, it bodes well for the rest of the financial sector uh, that we have going forward. So the next two weeks are going to be very key in terms of the numbers, but this is a very good start right now. Okay, so you're expecting maybe more of the same thing from the other big banks that are reporting as this Wells Fargo tomorrow and others. Yeah, so the the well-run banks, such as the Wells Fargo's of the world, okay, uh, they're expected to do well. Now, uh, if you have, and one of the nice things about J.P. Morgan is they're not reliant on just one sector. Right. They, they are worldwide. They are in different parts of the market, whether it be on the commercial side or on the uh, uh, retail side. So even if one area is weak, they're able to uh, leverage their strengths on the other side to uh, boost up their earnings and revenues going forward. Right. And J.P. Morgan, as you mentioned, is, is one of the better performing big banks. Uh, however, they're still... Um, uh, in, involved in an earnings recession from year over year. Their uh, revenues are not what they were, uh, moderately. It's a modest uh, earnings recession, but it does continue. Uh, it, it, we're seeing an improving outlook, but uh, perhaps in the next few years, sorry, perhaps in the next few quarters, we may see that change. And the earnings recession that's gone on for five quarters now, I believe, uh, may come to an end. Are you wary of market over-exuberance if and when this comes about? Well, so here's one of the things. <clears throat> The expectations for earnings are already baked in into today's market price. Okay. All right. So market is already expecting, hey, earnings for Q2, we're going to be down about 6% or so on the S&P 500. And then for Q3, Q4, those have already been reflected in today's price. What we have seen is people become overly pessimistic as we get closer and closer to the earnings start date. So we start off maybe three months or six months away from the earnings start period of a quarter maybe looking at down 2%. And as we get closer and closer to the start date, people become more and more pessimistic and they actually become very negative just before the start. And historically, what, what have you seen? 
companies then come out and surprise on the upside. Right. So the bad news is already factored in. Uh, Q1 expectations were the earnings were going to be down about 8% or so. We actually ended up down 6%. Right. Okay. So that's what moves the market on the upside. When negative news is already factored in and you have positive surprises, not positive earnings, but just positive surprises, right. that boosts the confidence in the market and builds it up. Okay, very good. Um, with markets trading at record highs now, are you already seeing a little bit of the overheat in the market? So now is one of the things where people think of, look at one index and say the market is doing great or the market is doing poorly or the market is at a record high. So S&P 500 is at its record high. But is that the entire market? No, there are 3,000, 4,000 other companies mm -hmm. that make up the market. So uh, S&P is at a record high. However, if you look at small caps, small caps are still about 7% away from their record high levels last year. Mid caps are still a couple of percentage points away. So one sector of the market is at its record high, but then there are other portions that are not at record highs. So you could look, even within the S&P 500, energy stocks are nowhere near the record high levels. So rather than just focus on just one point in the market or one area of the market, you have to look at it in totality and you have to be able to then find where the values are. So S&P at a record high doesn't mean that it can't go any higher. Okay, It was at a record high last year. Well, guess what? We have moved up. But in terms of people looking at, hey, what other sectors, what other indexes still have some ways to go even before reaching the levels they were earlier in the year or last year. Small caps are a pretty good example. Mid caps are a good example. International is still down about 20% from its level. So one index doesn't make the entire market. Right. High. Oh, you know, this brings to mind last week when I was speaking to Mitch Zacks about this. Uh, as a benchmark for Zacks Investment Management, he was talking about using the Russell 2000 and the Russell mid caps instead of the S&P 500. That's, that's true, yeah? Yes. You have to look, at, you have to compare apples to apples. Okay. okay. You cannot compare an investment portfolio made up of small cap companies and compare them to how the large cap companies are doing. And even within the large cap, you have large cap value, you have large cap growth. So you have different areas and it makes, for our investors, you should be looking at what its true benchmark is. Okay. okay? And if, a lot of people have seen the famous Callan chart where you have different sectors of the market, which did best one year, which did worse the next year. And uh, some days, uh, some years you'll have Russell 1000 value uh, doing good. Uh, it could be Russell 1000 growth the next year. It could be mid cap or it could be small cap. So just by investing in S&P 500, you're missing out on another 3,000, 4,000 companies. Right. Or just by investing in Russell 2000, you're missing out on the large caps. So you have to look at the market in totality. And then when you do have your investments, look at what its true benchmark is, what its true uh, things that they should be comparing to. Okay. Well, very good. Um, now, the Brexit scare, currently a non-factor, at least here in the U.S., uh, add to this the oil prices finding support around $50 a barrel. Uh, isn't the market right to ride this bull wave? Uh, why or why not? It is. Uh, the Brexit, a uh, lot of bad news was, well, the vote was a surprise. Okay. Right. So going in, people were expecting it's going to pass, uh, or the people, the uh, Europe, uh, England will uh, vote to stay in by small percentage points, and then the vote came in and it was actually on the negative side. Market did sell off initially, but then since then we have bounced back up pretty good. Uh, what people are looking at is saying, okay, hey, it's not going to be as bad as people were thinking, 
it's going to be a drawn out process. It's not going to happen right away. It's, it's, it's going to take over two years. Uh, UK still has to invoke Article 50. They haven't even done that yet. That's true. So we have a new government come in. Uh, they have a new prime minister and the whole cabinet is coming in. They're going to talk to EU in terms of the steps that they will take. So rather than focusing on that they all hell's uh, breaking loose and the world's about to end, people are saying, okay, you know what? They have time to work this out. And when you have time to work this out, investors get a lot more comfortable. They get more prudent with their investments rather than taking a knee-jerk reaction. And we have had a very nice bounce back up, not only in the U.S., but also in the international securities uh, yeah. since the vote came up. Okay. Now, as a result, do we start to see Fed presidents coming back around to finding a time to raise rates a quarter point sooner than later? You know, that's a million-dollar question that I wish I could answer, what <laughs> the Fed will do in the next year. Uh, we started off the year thinking the Fed was going to raise rates four times. Then when April came about, it became two times. When after the Brexit vote, there was zero. The probabilities became zero. There was actually some talk about interest rates being cut if worldwide economies were going to, going to a, a recession. Now we're back up to about a 50% chance or so of maybe one interest rate hike by the end of this year. The Fed has consistently said their decisions are going to be data dependent. Sure. So as the data comes in, they will react to it. More, the problem is market takes a look at every data that the economy comes out with or companies come out with and try to project this is, well, the Fed's now going to do this based on this particular data. And it could be unemployment, it could be GDP, it could be inflation. The Fed has been in the, in the game for much longer than us. They're looking at it in totality. So what's going on in totality. You're looking at unemployment situation, still getting better for the mm -hmm. U.S. consumers. Right. Okay. Uh, the last jobs report that came out, came out about 100,000 more jobs per month than previously expected. Unemployment rate right now, we're down to about 4.9%. More importantly, we look at the under underemployment, which is the U6, mm -hmm. which takes into account part-timers who are looking for full-time job or people who have given up looking for job. That rate is now down to 9.6%. Under 10 for the first uh, under time in a 10. while. Yeah. Okay, so it was at 18 at yeah. its peak. Right. So it's still, it's come back quite a bit. However, in the 2007 scenario time frame or so, it was down to about 7. So we still have some slack in the economy. But you're looking at the trend, and the trend is positive for the, uh, uh, for the employment picture. Look at GDP. First quarter was a little bit on the downside, but second quarter is expected to be about 2.5% or so. Okay. And then more importantly, inflation expectations. We just had PPI come out. Uh, the core PPI came out this morning about 1.3%. Uh, CPI is expected to be out tomorrow up about 2.2%. So with oil prices coming back up mm -hmm. from 26 up to the 50, inflation um, starts to show up in those material costs. That builds up the prices uh, for other things. And if inflation expectations do start to now get into that 2 2.5% area, the Fed will say, okay, employment, good. GDP, good. Housing, good. Interest rates overall, still pretty low. Inflation expectations building up, maybe we can do another 25 basis point hike by the time December comes around. So we're a long ways from the Fed actually cutting interest rates. I think they stay packed for some time. Look at it in the fall, 
and then uh, December or so maybe raise rates one more time. Right. They've, they've really suggested, <clears throat> pardon me a second, they've, they've suggested no urgency in bolstering rates at this time. Um, now, you mentioned a bunch of things that you that you think that they would like to see from the markets in the U.S. and global economies to change their minds, uh, or I guess the U.S. Is there anything that the global market can do to help the Fed kind of um, maybe uh, adjust their thinking uh, domestically? Just stay calm. Just stop freaking out <laughs> U.S. investors <laughs> as well as uh, the Fed. Uh, let the EU and yeah, let Great Britain do their yeah, thing. Yeah, let them, let them do their thing. Let them be more prudent. Let them be emotionally charged off well, how do, how do they want to punish Great Britain or how, how the, all the negativity that went along when the vote was coming up. Um, so uh, if that dies down and EU starts to uh, kind of get away from the negative interest rates that are prevalent in their bond market and they start to move towards a positive side, uh, that's going to be one thing that the Fed will be watching for. Second thing is China. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. So China, uh, it looks like it has bottomed out and starting to uh, form back up again. Mm -hmm. The volatility in the equity markets in the Chinese area is not as much as what we had seen in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, the government's gone in, uh, taken some control, and that's what the Fed is looking for. The Fed doesn't want rapid shift of uh, money movements from one economy to another economy. So as long as Europe can stay calm, as long as Chinese equities stay on the calmer side, right. um, whether it be upside or downside, uh, that's the Fed's looking for. Uh, India uh, seems to be getting in a better and better position uh, with the government that they have had for the last couple of years. Anecdotally, I've been just hearing more and more uh, improvements for the infrastructure uh, that the new government has been doing. And uh, so the worldwide, we're in a much better position now than we were six weeks ago. Um, right. And we just need that for that to continue. So, but the Fed, Still, the main focus for them will be U.S. economy. Right. right. International okay. is secondary, but the main focus is U.S. For sure, economy. for sure. And I was, uh, I was wanted to talk a little bit more about China, too, because we're coming up to the one-year anniversary of the devaluation of the, of the yuan, uh, which obviously sent uh, global markets tumbling at that time, too. That was the last time there was a ma major shakeup, I think, uh, that I can recall. And it took a couple of months to recover from that. Um, we're going to start seeing a better comps, though, out of Chinese companies and, and from the Chinese government, though. Isn't that correct? That is expected. And that's one of the reasons why the equity markets have held up much better. You have had not, well, as long as China stays out of the headline, that's good for the economies. Okay. Okay. Right. Because mo most of the time, whenever you hear Chinese markets, it's more on the negative side. Okay. Okay. So uh, the bad news came in last year. Uh, the year where year comps start to look better. Uh, the headlines uh, recede. Um, and, and things go back to kind of like where they were. The okay. government's more in control. They've learned their lesson on how to devalue, what kind of signals to give to the market when they are about to start something. And uh, it's one of the things in the Asian markets right now that we have seen is the central banks and the governments are becoming more and more active in the, uh, in the investments area. Mm -hmm. uh, you've had Japanese government be the largest holder in quite a few of their ETFs. Uh, it's a concern for over the longer term, but for right now, when they need to stabilize the market, that's what's needed, and, that, and they're doing that. Very good. Uh, Manisha, I wanted to ask you real quick before we, went to a, before we go to a break, uh, concerns to watch out for in the fixed income market, because you're the fixed income uh, expert at Zach's Investment Management. The concerns are people chasing yield, people chasing risk. Uh, 
you have negative interest rates worldwide. And the last estimate I heard was there are about $13 trillion in government debt that is at a negative yield. Uh, you have 30% uh, of overall bond markets at a negative yield. Switzerland, with their entire yield curve in, on the negative side. Mm -hmm. So what it's doing is it's, it's pushing investors from this negative interest rate uh, arena to the U.S., to other uh, higher yielding investments. And they're chasing yield, but they forget what the risks there are. Okay. okay? So uh, it's one thing for investors to keep in mind is whenever you chase yield, be mindful of the risk. Uh, things are not going to be Goldilocks all the time. There will be hiccups. So focus on credit quality, focus on duration, and do not, do not, do not, do not invest in bonds where you're guaranteed to lose money if you hold on to them until maturity. Which for me, I cannot understand why someone is buying German 10-year bonds at a negative yield when they will be losing money. Right, unless they think they're going to fall much more or something yeah. like that. A listener is interested in speaking to someone at Zach's Investment Management should call 800-245-2934. Uh, again, I'll give you that number, 800-245-2934. Uh, that's for, for those listening to The Steady Investor today and interested in speaking to someone at Zach's Investment Management. Also, if you call in today, we will send you a copy of Retirement Secrets Revealed, Advice for Building a Better Retirement. Um, and uh, just wanted to see if there was anything else we could talk about before we go to break. Uh, what do we got? About another minute or so. About a minute and a half. How about some fun facts or something? Sure. You got a fun fact for us? All right. Let's see what we have here. Uh, the original bear and bull. The or I'm sorry. The origins of bear and bull. In investing terms, a bear market refers to a decline in prices, while a bull market refers to rising prices. Although these terms have become standard vocabulary for all traders, it's unclear exactly what these terms originate from. Gambling on fights between live bears and bulls used to be common practice in the Old West. That I did not know. And the terms probably have something to do with this, I would guess. Uh, some speculate that it is a reference to the manner in which each animal attacked, with a bull thrusting its horn upwards and a bear swiping downwards. Others think it's a reference to bearskin sellers who would often speculate on the future prices of the skins and would benefit from a decline in those prices. At the time, the opposite of a bear was assumed to be a bull. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. And kind of fun, too, I would say. That is a fun fact. Um, so I wanted to say, before we go to um, the Voice America Business Channel's uh, timeout from the SETI Investor, uh, stick with us. We have more to talk about, um, including uh, the four reasons to invest in the U.S. stock market. Thank you. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Zach's Investment Management is a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions rather than selling our clients' product. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of experts located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 800-245-2934. Or to learn more, go to ZimWealth.com. 
Again, that number is 800-245-2934 or go to ZIMWealth.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. Today's dramatic business and workforce changes make it urgent to think differently about HR. Instead of being just the system of record or engagement, HR needs to become an agile platform for everything in your organization to come together to transform the work experience. How can you develop your key relationships across the business as you transform HR into a powerful force for business breakthroughs? Tune in Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel for Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, listeners of the voiceamerica.com business channel. The Steady Investor with Mark Vickery and, well, Mitch Zacks is not here today. We're with Manish Jain, Fixed Income Portfolio Manager with Zacks Investment Management uh, and Barry Wheelis, National Sales Director with the Private Client Group at Zacks Investment Management. Um, listeners interested in speaking to someone at Zacks Investment Management, by the way, should call 800-245-2934. And if you call in today, we will send you a copy of Retirement Secrets Revealed, which is advice for building a better retirement. Uh, so Mitch Zacks last week, I believe it was last week, wrote an article called Four Reasons to Invest in the U.S. Stock Market. Um, why don't we just get right to those? So what are the four reasons to invest in the U.S. Stock Market, stock market today? Mitch? Well, so first of all, here is the valuations and in terms of where the growth is happening worldwide. Okay? U.S. is a beacon where we're seeing positive growth uh, compared to where Europe is, compared to where Asia is, uh, positive interest rates. Uh, accommodative Fed, uh, accommodative central uh, governments, uh, as well as um, earnings that are expected to be a little better than expected. So there are about, I would say, more than four things, but I mean, if we just have to kind of narrow it down to a few, uh, there are more than enough uh, reasons why U.S. is the leader, and that's why you have seen a lot of money flow into the U.S. markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an open market. It's a transparent market. You don't have the governments uh, dictating uh, what stocks to buy. So if you start off with... Minimal trade impact. Yeah, minimal one. trade impact. So concerns were that, okay, once the Brexit happens uh, with the amount of trade uh, deficit or uh, trade agreements we have with Britain, how will that look? How will that go through with the Europe uh, uh, also? And as I mentioned before, this is going to be drawn out over a couple of years. Okay, This is not happening. Boom, one day we got to cut it. And we have no idea what the uh, new new deal will be. Okay. We have a couple of years to work through this. Uh, the work, the corporations have uh, operations not only in the UK but also in the Europe. They're very well versed on what's going on. The US to UK 
trade is only about $57 billion or so. So that's less than 5% of the total uh, trade that we do with worldwide. True. So even if things do go a little sour, how much does it impact our overall market? Not as much. Uh, Canada, Mexico, those are our bigger trading partners. Sure. China's our bigger trading partner. So uh, Europe, definitely a little bit of uh, concern, but not as much as what people are uh, making it out to be. Okay. And the second one, interest rates, lower, longer? It's, it's cheaper for corporations to borrow. It's cheaper for you and I to borrow. Uh, if you take a look at home mortgage rates, they are at record low levels. I believe the 30-year mortgage is close to 3% or so. Amazing estate. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it, it builds confidence uh, in terms of uh, consumers being able to go out and, and buy a house uh, if they have not been able to do so before. For corporations who are looking to refinance debt, you're seeing massive amount of corporations uh, call away their older bonds, uh, which I'm facing every day for my clients, and then they're issuing newer bonds at lower and lower rates. So the amount of debt has gone up, but the amount of cash that they have on their books also has gone up just because it's cheaper for them to issue debt, mm-hmm. okay? And they're calling away bonds on which they were paying 5%, let's say, and now they're issuing new bonds at 3%. Okay. So when you're issuing 300, 500, a billion dollars worth of debt and you have 2% savings, that's an immediate savings to the bottom line for these corporations. So uh, the valuations, uh, the profit margins for corporations go up, their valuations goes up, Oh, for, on the retail side, as I said, consumers are it's cheaper for them to borrow uh, and buy a new car, buy a new house. When they buy a new house, well, now they have to furnish it. So the Home Depots and the Lowe's start to get some benefit from it. Uh, and so it's, it's a trickle-down effect. So right now we're looking at interest rates lower for longer. The Fed, as I said, maybe raising rate one time this year or mm-hmm. so. You have 10-year treasuries at 1.5% among the lowest levels that we have ever seen. So that's good news for borrowers. Sure. It's not good news for savers, but it's good news for borrowers, and that's what flows through to the profit line, to the bottom line, to the profit margins, which then raises the valuations for the companies. Okay. Now, if we see uh, the interest rate go up another quarter percent at some point, I don't know, this fall, this winter or something, uh, this year, at what point do you think uh, that's going to be a problem taking on all this debt for a company or for a household? So, excellent question. So, investors have feared, well, the Fed will raise rates and that's going to bring the market down. All right, so the answer is, okay, Fed raises rates by how much? 25 basis points. Right. Okay, what does it bring the Fed funds rate up to? Maybe 50 bips, maybe 75 bips. Where were we 10 years ago? Four and a half percent. Right. Five percent. So from a historical point of view, we're still going to go under 4% to even to get to that level. Right. All right. We're a long ways from there. But investors are in, in a mode where they think that every 25 basis point cut should have the market going down 15%, 20% or so. And in the in longer history, in, in a longer look at things, this is just a small step. Okay. 25 basis points is not going to make or break a company in terms of driving them into bankruptcies or anything like that. Right. When you have companies like IBM, Apple, Pepsi, all of these companies being able to issue 10-year debt at 2%, even if they have to pay two and a quarter, still very cheap financing for okay. them. Even for the U.S. government, okay, 
the amount of debt that the U.S. government has on their books has gone up, okay, because uh, the deficit keeps uh, growing. But if you take a look at the interest that they're paying on the debt as a percentage of the GDP, mm -hmm. it's at a very lower level, much lower level than it was a year ago or two years ago or three years ago or so. Right. Okay. So we are being more resourceful. We're being more able to service the debt. So as long as that, that continues, okay, another 25 basis points. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Okay. Well, I guess maybe you look out eight, 10 quarters perhaps, and if we have multiple uh, interest rate hikes at that, at those levels, I guess we're still looking at historically low levels. Historically right? low levels. Okay. So again, you go back to the four and a half percent, five percent Fed funds rate, or even the ten-year Treasury, which uh, about a year and a half ago was at three percent. Now it's at one and a half percent. Okay. Right. So we have a long ways to go. Okay. And even if you were to project out a year, two years or so, and let's say the Fed funds rate does go from half a percent to one and a half, two percent or so. From a historical viewpoint, it's still very cheap. Very interesting. Okay, let's go to the third point, the third reason to invest in the U.S. stock market, and that is sentiment supports surprises. Okay. So, pessimism is built in into the market. Okay, Investors always look at the glass as half empty rather than half full. Right. They're mm -hmm. waiting for the next thing to fall. Okay, They're waiting for that this is what's going to finally cause uh, the Great Depression or so. And we have seen bits and pieces of that, and we, uh, the market will go down 5%, 10% or so. Mm -hmm. But then what we have also seen is investors come in and quickly take advantage of those dips. Gone are the days where the market will go down 10 15% over a couple of months, then have a base at that level for a couple of months, and then start to go up. The rallies that we have seen these days over the last couple of years or so have been very sharp. So for investors trying to time the market, that okay, I can sell now, buy when it's down 10%, 15%. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens? When it's down 10%, they say, no, I don't feel like it. I'm just going to go down another 5%. It goes down another 5%. Nope, still don't like it. It's going to go down another 5%. And they keep postponing the decision to invest. Mm -hmm. And they keep the, the negative thoughts that are in the market that CNBC spouts out or they see on the, on the newspapers, they think that that's now become permanent. Well, it's not. Okay, market has rebounded back up very nicely, and if you just blink, you miss a rebound. Okay, you take a look at how much we went down in February and what we have gained back. The market's up twenty percent or so from February. It would seem that investors are looking for buying opportunities at these low uh, levels. You have. Okay, one cannot be a trader unless you're willing to spend all of your time looking at the market trends, looking at the dips and say, okay, all right, I can put my emotions on the side and get in, get out when I want to. Okay. People invest emotionally and they end up getting whipsawed by all these market movements that happen. Right. Okay. Our philosophy here is you're investing for the longer term. Mm -hmm. As long as you have a good asset allocation in place, your assets are diversified and your risk profile is not changing. Do not worry about the day-to-day -day movements in the market. And okay. keep Mar focused on the system. That's what Mitch was talking yeah. about last week. Yeah. The volatility is here to stay. There is no need to panic every time the market goes down by 1% or 2%. Mm -hmm. And even if the market does drop by 200, base, 200 points, 
Well, 200 points when the Dow Jones is at 18,000 is a lot different than 200 points when the Dow Jones is at 10,000. That's for sure. Okay, but what is the, what is the news headlines? Market drops 200 points. Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing. Okay, focus on the longer picture. Focus on your risk profile for the longer term. Focus on the asset allocation. And as long as you, those things are done, you, you'll be able to write out these ups and downturns. A lot of times portfolio managers do have a wish list of companies they want to invest in, but the valuations are high, so they wait until those uh, those prices go down. So, is, that, is that the same here at Zach's Investment Well, management? we're looking at earnings. Okay, our, right. our, our core philosophy is earnings estimates revision. Right. Okay. Do we take a look at, okay, what's the price to earnings, price to sales? We do, but the overlying factor still is how are the earnings estimates for this company? Are they being revised upwards? And it goes to that people expect negative things, estimates come down. As I said, earnings for Q2, we're not expecting to be down about 6% or so. I would not be surprised if by the time all things are said and done, that we actually come out pop better than that. Mm -hmm. We still have negative earnings. Uh, oil uh, energy sector is still going to be a drag, but maybe we end up only down 4% or so, or 5% or so. But better than expected earnings, those are the companies that we're looking for. So companies like JP Morgan, where did they come in better than expected? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Or they come out and say, okay, hey, this is what we earn now, but we're going to earn better going forward. You look at Pepsi, you look at CSX over the last couple of days. Those are companies that have come out with positive surprises, and that's where the money is flowing, and those are the companies that we invest in. Very good, very good. Um, I had a question about that, and I don't remember it. Let's go to the fourth uh, reason to invest in the U.S. stock market today, and that's earnings rebound, and it's kind of what we're touching on already here. Yeah, we're, we've been talking about this, and as I said, uh, it, it, it feels like with the rebound back up in the commodity prices, I mean, like oil was down to the $26 range, right. now we're back up to the $50 range, the drag in earnings that were there from all of the commodity firms, all of the energy companies, that is expected to dissipate over the next couple of quarters here. All right. So, as if oil stays at this fifty to sixty dollar range, you will see Exxon, Chevron, which throw in the bathtub and everything last quarter, start to report numbers which are better than uh, from a, from a comparable point of view from the last year or the or the last quarter, and they'll be able to better tell us going forward how ex uh, earnings expectations are going to be. So right now we still have a lot of pessimism built in, mm -hmm. but if interest rates stay uh, as where they are, Europe, the Brexit takes the two years and people have become calmer, you will start to see these estimates go up and people will say, okay, hey, things are not as bad as what we have been thinking. Mm -hmm. Let's start to raise these up. Companies also feeling better. I mentioned uh, the energy companies. You look at companies which have been borrowing a lot of money at cheaper debt, they're making more money now. Mm -hmm. And cost cutting still goes on. Okay, So revenues are flat uh, for a lot of these companies, but the cost cutting is still going on. They're becoming more and more productive, and that's helping their net margins also. Okay, we, When we see a final breakout from this earnings recession that's gone on for now five quarters, uh, it, I think Q2 will be the fifth quarter. Um, but once it is no longer the case, do you see that kind of uh, being a, a spur to the markets as well? Yeah, at, at least in, in the outlook and the pessimism kind of drying up at that point. It, it, it will be. Uh, it depends, again, on the areas. Okay? Uh, we hate to, uh, to brush the entire market with just one broad stroke. And it's sure. okay, 
uh, well, earnings are up, so that means the entire market should be going up. No, it's going to be depending on the sectors. So when we look at the earnings estimates, okay, is it the financial sector where the estimates are going up? Is it the energy sector? Is it the pharmaceutical sector? Is it the consumer staples or utilities? Right. So you have to, instead of just looking at the S&P 500, you have to say, okay, which companies are expected to benefit or which sectors are expected to benefit from the current economic or interest rate environment and focus on those. So, as I said, if oil stays in this 50, goes up to 60, estimates for energy companies will be going up and you'll see our performance from those stocks. Okay. Uh, interest rates, the curve gets a little steeper. Well, that's beneficial for financial companies. Okay, so you expect money moving into the financials. Right. So. Uh, retail, if the, um, if, if the housing market continues strong, then you expect companies like the Home Depot and the Lowe's and the mortgage companies uh, start to perform better also. And as I mentioned, small caps are still down about 7-8% from their highs. Right. So, uh, so S&P is at its high, but if you break it apart, okay, there are a lot of other companies which are not at their record levels which could be moving up. Oh, very good. Um, before we go to another break, I wanted to ask one real quick question. Could the general election have an effect on market attitudes going forward? It will. It will. Uh, we expect, if, if it's still pretty tight in the polls, right? Okay, uh, we expect the market to which be Which they are market. today, actually. Yeah, which they are. So if, if, if the range is 4 to 5% or so in either direction, then we expect the volatility to continue throughout the summer. Okay. Okay. We have not had a whole lot of specifics from either of the candidates. Again, this is they just went through the primaries. They're more pandering to the base. So uh, once we get closer and closer to elections, market will get a feel of, okay, how is the presidential side going to break? How is the Senate side going to break? Best case scenario, there's still a gridlock. So Congress is by one party, presidential is by another party. That's what the market's looking for. Very good. We're going to take a break from the Steady Investor and with Zach's Investment Management. We'll be right back after these messages. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Zach's Investment Management is a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions rather than selling our clients' product. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of experts located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 800-245-2934. Or to learn more, go to ZimWealth.com. Again, that number is 800-245-2934 or go to zimwealth.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. 
are listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Thanks for sticking with us, VoiceAmerica.com business channel listeners. This is The Steady Investor. I'm Mark Vickery. Uh, with Zach's Investment Management, uh, both Barry Wheelis and Manish Jain. And we wanted to turn this over to Barry a little bit. He's the National Sales Director with the Private Client Group at Zach's Investment Management. Hi, Barry. We've uh, not heard from you yet in this program. Hi, Mark. How are you today? Uh, not bad. Thank you very much. Um, finding your way, four simple steps to managing your retirement assets. Uh, can we talk a little bit about this? I would, yeah. I'd love to. But I, I did want to give uh, just a quick kudos to Manish and Mitch Sachs and the investment committee. When we kind of walked into this storm called Brexit three weeks ago, whether we got the news in the middle of the night or the next morning, mm-hmm. Manish and Mitch had a, uh, a conference call with all my advisors just to lay out the upsides, the downsides, the risks, where our strengths were in our portfolios. And, and really the, the bottom line message was continue to hold the strategies that you're invested in. If you do have some excess capital that you want to put to work, let's put it to work in the U.S. equities and here's good reasons why. Fast forward three weeks later and now the markets are at an all-time high. And I know Manish was talking about not necessarily just looking at the S&P 500 and the Dow. And I wasn't expecting an all-time high again in three weeks, Manish, but I appreciate the advice and the commentary that you and Mitch give to not only my advisors, but also to our clients. Because once again, uh, our strategies are time-tested and proven, and and it worked out again here in July. And so I really appreciate the thought commentary you give to us, Manish. Thank you. And it also plays right into the steady investor, what we're doing here today. Um, So let's talk a little bit about four simple simple steps to managing your retirement assets. Certainly. So really, some of it is science. Okay, and then some of it is, is a little bit of an art as well. But um, the, the experience for most folks, they've spent 20, 30 years building up a large nest egg, whether it's in their businesses that they built that they want to sell, or perhaps it's in their 401k retirement savings, maybe it's in their real estate holdings. But you get to a point in place where you're, you're saying, okay, I would now like to retire. Okay. And what, what's the next 20 or 30 years going to look like? Mm. And retirements are longer now, longevity is longer options, opportunities, activities when you're retired has expanded quite a bit too. And so uh, the first thing that, that I always advise people is it took you 20 or 30 or 40 years to get here. Let's spend some time making the decisions around your retirement portfolio too. You don't have to necessarily jump into something right away. Spend some time, do some study. The, the, the science part about it, around it really is what are some of the numbers? Okay, so right. what are your um, income needs? What are your expected expenses that you think you're going to be facing during retirement? Inflation, healthcare insurance, social security benefits, pension benefits, all of those sort of you know, quantitative numbers. What do those numbers look like and how can we figure out if we don't have the answers to those questions, where do we go to get that information? So first thing that you always want to know is what are your income sources? What are your um, expected expenses that you, can, that you can reasonably project? And then what, what we also like to do is say, okay, Income, expenses, what are your goals? What do you want to do when you're retired? What's important to you about your retirement? What does that vision look like when you're retired? And then how do we get you to how do we get you to those steps? And so that's kind of the science part of it, because it's more quantitative and data driven. Mm-hmm. But the real art part about it is is when you sit down with our advisors and we talk about 
what your story is and we listen to what you have to say and what are your expectations in retirement what are your goals what's important to you we've got a great story as well that we share with our clients as far as how we work with clients and, and the majority of our clientele are retirees so they were former business owners or executives or professionals that are now retired all right so we're very very um used to and we are very um, competent working with retirees and building out retirement plans but when you sit and speak with us that's really where I feel like more of the art side of it is because everybody is different right you, you not everyone has the same goals the same aspirations the same outlooks as far as when they're retired and so when you share that information with us that gives us a better sense of how can we build a plan that's customized for you right customized being the key word I think right? um, very good um, let me see if I had something on that that I wanted to ask. Um, we break this down to four simple steps. Determine expenses, determine income, match income source with goals, and enlist professional help. These are things you're, you're talking about. Now, what are Zach's Investment Management's distinct advantages, or have you already touched on these? So I touched on that a little bit. So I would start off with the, the advisors that we have, and, and I feel like that's a, that's a key differentiating point. So when you know, I look at the group of advisors that interact with the private clients, on average, uh, out of the whole group, uh, the season in industry experience is a little over 20 years. And the average time that they've been with Zach's Investment Management as an advisor is right around 10 years. Okay. And so when you step back and look at that, you have a seasoned professional investment advisor that's, that you're working with that has seen various bull markets and various bear markets and various strategies and ideas. Interesting and, 10 years. Right, they've, they've seen enough in the markets that they've learned quite a bit. And so you've got someone that not only is, is, um, is very studied and very seasoned, but then also has actually experienced some of the upsides and the downsides of the markets. And I think that's important from the person that you're getting advice from. So let me start there. The, the, sure. the advisor that you're going to be working with is a seasoned, experienced advisor. Uh, with Zach's Investment Management. It's definitely uh, a very, very personal service as well. We're not a, a mass market group. We're not on every billboard in every city and we don't have an office in every town. It's not, right. it's not that strategy. So it's a very, very personalized service that you're going to receive. And people can talk about customization of portfolios, but the way that we manage portfolios, we truly can customize your investment portfolio based on what you tell us that you want to do. So. A couple of examples that we use with retirees is you might have a large holding in a pharmaceutical company that you retired from. And so then we would hold uh, those pharmaceutical stocks out of the portfolio that we're managing for you. So there's not overlay or overlap between the two holdings. Okay. So you truly are diversified. You've got the ability to give some direction to the portfolio managers on what you feel like should be in the portfolio or what you would like to not have in the portfolio. That's a, that's a, a unique strategy that we have with our services. And then also too, we're still a privately owned, family owned business. Uh, all of the research that we have is independent, quantitative driven. It's non-biased research that you're gonna receive from Zach's Investment Management inside of the portfolio. Very good. So on the various strategies that you have, you can be, you can, you have the peace of mind knowing that we are working in your best interest and trying to find the best investments based on the quantitative research that we have to put into your portfolio. So again, there too, it's a little bit of a customization, but also because we are an independent, privately held firm, uh, you don't have to have any questions about the investments that we're recommending to you and placing in your portfolio. Okay. Sure. Go ahead, Manish. So to follow up on uh, Barry's comments on uh, for retirees to figure out what their expenses are going to be and what their income sources are going to be, there are two things that I do want to mention. Uh, with interest rates where they are right now at mm -hmm. record low levels, right. the old rule of thumb used to be 
that in retirement, if you have like a 60-40, like 60 equities, 40 bonds, or 70 equities, 30 uh, bonds or so, that you can take out 4% of your portfolio out every year without any problem, and that should last you for a long time. Okay. Well, with yields so low, returns on the fixed income are not going to be what they were back 10 years ago, 15 years, 20 years ago or so. Right. So we have been talking to our investors and saying, okay, rather than use the 4% rule of thumb, let's bring it down to 3%. Okay? okay. Let's be more conservative with our estimates on what this portfolio can return. We're not saying you need to cut down on your expenses unless you really have to, but let's just lower the expectations on the returns and still see if we match what your ex- expenses are going to be. Okay. All right. So be conservative on the return side, but you can be aggressive on the expenses side. So even if you do come out and surprise on the upside, that's better. Or if the expenses come in lower, that's better. Okay. So uh, prepare for the worst, mm-hmm. uh, hope for better. Um, so that's one of the things. The other instrument that we use for our clients when we do some portfolio analysis and presentations is a tool called Monte Carlo analysis. Now, a lot of people, when when they retire, they say, well, the long-term return on the market is 8%. I'm going to withdraw 4% out of my account, and there'll be plenty of money left over. Okay. Well, the market doesn't go up 8% every year. Mm, That's true. Okay. It could be up 10% one year. It could be up 2% the following year and down 3% the next year. Right. If you take a look at the last two years or so, the market has been flat. Now, if the market is up 10 and you're taking out 4%, okay, you still have 6% remaining. That's good. But if the market is flat and now you take out 4%, now you're working off a lower base. So you're at 96% of your value. And that money now has to work even more harder Mm -hmm. for you to maintain that 4% withdrawal rate. So rather than just use a straight line, okay, market's going to return 8%, I'm going to take out 4%, everything's fine, or even 6% or whatever it is. Rather than do that, we use Monte Carlo. And what Monte Carlo does is it takes a look at the returns and the volatility that comes along with those returns. How much on the upside, how much on the downside. And then it projects it future. In terms of, okay, how much can you withdraw? And if things do go well along the baseline case, how much money you will have remaining after 15 years, 20 years, or 30 years or so? Or if things go bad, how quickly could you run out of money? Mm. So now you're assigning probabilities, right? That there's a 25% chance that you could run out of money by the time year 30 comes around. Or there's a 10% chance. Or there's a 15% chance. So we focus, again, on the lower numbers. So as long as we can say that, okay, hey, there's a 90% chance that you will have enough money to last you for 30 years or so, mm-hmm. that gives us confidence on that allocation that we have put together. All right. We're not going to be 100% correct. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in the market at all times. But with, when these probabilities, and you start to incorporate them into asset allocation, it just gives you better comfort that, okay, my assets are managed properly, that there is a very good chance that I will be able to uh, live out the rest of my retirement with the money that I have. And all portfolio managers tend to work within a range, too, so nobody's trying to pinpoint things exactly. Right. Um, I wanted to point out before uh, we continue, listeners interested in speaking to someone at Zach's Investment Management should call 800 245 
1-800-227-2934. I wanted to find out, is there also an email address that you know off the top of your head for Zach's Investment Management? Do we have that? All right, we'll, we'll get that for you next time uh, on The Steady Investor. Uh, let's go. I think we still had one more uh, point that I wanted to make about, okay, uh, the, the, back to Barry. Um, oh, I know what it is. Uh, what to look for in a money manager. There's 10 good questions investors can ask. Uh, Barry, we're going to bring it back to you for this. I appreciate that, Mark. And, and this goes back to my original comments about if it took you 20 or 30 years to get to the point of retirement, you should spend a little bit of time just kind of saying, okay, who should I hire and, and how, what should my portfolio look like and what should the structure look like? We've done a little bit of that heavy lifting for you with, with 10 questions that we feel like are pertinent uh, to investors when they're trying to figure out who I should hire, what the strengths are, what things I should be concerned about. And so really, if we look at some of the different um, questions, some of them may be relevant to you, some of them may not, but on a long list of of questions that you could possibly ask, we feel like these 10 questions are probably the key ones that you should be checking off, okay? So Mm -hmm. one would be, is your firm a registered investment advisor, okay? And and the the reason why that has some relevance and some importance is just – the structure of the business that's going to be managing your portfolio. How is it set up? Is it set up as a broker dealer? Is it set up as a registered investment advisor? And I don't want to dive too deep into the uh, technicalities of it. I'll be happy to share that offline uh, if needed. But essentially, it has to do with the investment recommendations that the firm is going to be making to you. And there's some differences between a broker dealer and a registered investment advisor. Uh, for, I guess, disclosure here, we are a registered investment advisor at okay. Investment Management. So you also would like to know custodians that they use. So where will the assets actually be held? Who is the provider that will be holding your assets? Is it is it the firm itself? Is it a third party? You want to make sure that you know who actually holds your assets and then how would you connect with those folks? How do you see the portfolio values? What happens if something were to happen to the custodian? And those are all great questions, but you need to know who's actually holding the assets that, uh, that are being managed. A key question too, is you always wanna ask, how is the advisor compensated? And there's a variety of different compensation schedules, and I'm not saying one is, is better than another, but you wanna know, in a sense, are they being paid recommendation by recommendation in a commission type of structure, or is it more of a fee-based structure based on the amount of assets that are being managed? The one advantage I see with Uh, The fee-based structure is essentially, as the portfolio increases in value, uh, the person that is making the recommendations to you also benefits in that. But if for some reason the portfolio were to go down in value, well, then that person is incented less as far as their fees go. And so it it essentially puts them on the same side of the table, in the same boat, in the same car with you. And so you can have some peace of mind knowing that they are giving you their best advice, best recommendations, because if they don't, obviously there's some, uh, some issues for them as well as far as their compensation goes. Um, some other questions that I think are interesting, and you should always know with, whether it's uh, hiring an investment advisor or some sort of business decision, but what are the penalties and fees if I decide to leave your firm? So essentially, what would happen if I decided, okay, we tried to make the best informed decision that we could, um, for whatever reason, we're going to need to part ways. What does that actually mean? How? What is the exit strategy? And that's always a great question to ask before you begin any kind of uh, business relationship, whether it's an investment advisor or something else. Is what actually occurs if I decide that I no longer want to have you managing my portfolio or no longer want to be with uh, with the firm that that I've chosen? Mm-hmm. We can come back to the other questions as <laughs> we we're, uh, as we're, we're up against the break. We are, but yeah, and this is going to be the end. We're, we're going we're gonna to sign off from the Steady Investor. Uh, thank you very much for Barry Wheelis 
and Manish Jain um, from Zax exactly. Investment Management. Zach's investment management information is at ziminfo at zax.com and the number again to call 800-249-2934. For Manish Jain, for Barry Wheelis, National Sales Director and Portfolio, a Fixed Income Portfolio Manager at Zach's Investment Management, I'm Mark Vickery. Thank you for listening to The Steady Investor. Thank you for tuning in this week. Be sure to join Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery for another edition of The Steady Investor next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you haven't started your retirement plan yet, what are you waiting for? again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and